This is Pastor Randy once again, and you've reached Vernon First Baptist Church this week in our Seeking Justice Together summer series. We end our series with a look at the persistent widow, and you are going to meet our regional minister for BC and the Yukon, Larry Schramm, former pastor at Summerland Baptist Church. He's going to give us a message on persistence. And you will hear our friends, uh, our friend Sharon Robinson, reading the scripture from her patio at the start, as we had um, Ken and Sharon on video for the sermon, as we want to include people from wherever they are, even if they're not being at church, they are engaged in church, definitely. So join in. Welcome to our sunny deck. We're just enjoying a few peaceful moments here with Randy and enjoying the fact that there's very little smoke around and, and so grateful we have a home and we have an eternal home. Please join me as I read this passage from Luke 18, 1 to 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with all her complaining. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on the earth? The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Bye now. Larry, please come and give us the word of the Lord. It's a joy to be with you this morning here in the building as well as online with those who are watching now or who will watch later. Uh, before we jump into the uh, sermon itself, I just want to pause and uh, recognize two symbols you have at the front of your church here and commend you for it and draw your attention to them and remind you about them. Uh, the first is the, the cross that is sitting right here and again is central right up there if your arthritis in your neck allows you to tilt your head that far. Um, I'm, I'm starting to get arthritis now, and so if I sit too close, it's painful. Uh, but you see the cross there, and we also recognize the reality of the Christ candle that Hannah lit earlier. And these symbols are deliberate, they're intentional. They remind us of something absolutely crucial we can never forget. It's all about Jesus. Theologians use the phrase Christocentric which means that we're a Christ-centered people. But what that plays out in your life and in mine, 
our lives are all about Jesus. Can you say that with me? It's all about Jesus. Can you say it with me like you really believe it? It's all about Jesus. It really is. See, how we respond to a pandemic is all about Jesus. How we engage issues of justice is all about Jesus. How we conduct ourselves as a church family is all about Jesus. How we live out our marriages and our families is all about Jesus. We are a people who follow Jesus Christ. And these symbols are very deliberate and intentional in all of our Baptist churches for a very simple reason, we forget. I've noticed down through the years of my life of walking with Jesus that my walk with him is a lot like the needle on the gas gauge of my car. And it keeps shifting from one direction to the other quite quickly. And I've noticed that as I walk through my daily life, it's pretty easy for me to begin thinking it's all about Jesus and to very quickly shift over to make it all about me. And I don't know about you, but I need every reminder I can get Amen. that it is all about Jesus. The second thing that we have at the front of your church here is we have an open Bible. You see, because as Baptists in particular, which were part of a family of faith called the Believer's Church, we are, as the theologians would put it, a biblically-centric or a biblocentric people. We are believers of the book. And for us, that means that we adhere to the book, we are a people of the book, and we are a people under the book. We are people who take the authority of God's word seriously. And so in all of our Baptist churches, or indeed anyone who's part of the Believer's Church, the Pentecostal, the Alliance, the Nazarene, even the Lutherans, who Martin Luther gave us the centrality of this, sola scriptura, the word alone. We are a people who come back to the authority of God's word again and again and again. Why is that important? Well, again, I don't know about you, but I have found that down through the years of my life, I hear a lot of voices that say a lot of things with a lot of passion and a lot of assurance that this is what we should be doing. And sometimes it is pretty easy to forget that in actuality, what we've committed ourselves to is to come back to the scriptures. That this is our authority. Not what the federal government says. Not what the UN says. Not what my banker or my financial advisor says. We come back to the authority of the word again and again and again. Why is this important? You see, as a family of faith that you here locally live out as part of a larger association of church that we are a part of, these two guideposts always bring us back to the foundation of who we are and show us the direction of how to go and how to live and how to respond in the world in which we live. It's all about Jesus. And it's all about coming back again and again and again to the Word of God. And not the voices that clamor for attention and tell us that they're important. So do we want to engage in justice? Absolutely, yes. How do we know what truly justice is? The authority of the word. 
Otherwise, everyone and everything claims and cries out for justice, and we will become like a golden retriever going back and forth, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball, do this, do that, respond here, respond there, up, down, go there, over here, over there, but we have to come back again and again and again to these two central realities. We are a people who follow Jesus, and we are a people of the book. That's why I ask you to pray for our family of faith. Next year, we're coming together as an assembly, as an association of churches, and we're going to be wrestling with some massive issues and some really big questions. And at the core of them, we want to ask a very simple question. What does it mean for us as a family of Baptist churches who are following Christ and who are following the Word? And what are the assumptions that come to bear in terms of our association of churches? How does that play out and what does that look like? in this age in which we live. And I know that we're not alone in wrestling with these questions. Every one of our churches are. And so I plainly and simply ask you to continue to be the people that God's called you to be, a people who follow Jesus and a people who walk in the light of his word. Do I hear an amen to that? Now, we're going to jump into the sermon now from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. So promise, if I could ask you to, that's the first slide. Excellent. If you can go to the second slide, please. How many of you would like to join me there for lunch? <laughs> Just in case you don't know, that's Waikiki, city of Honolulu on the island of Oahu in the beautiful state of Hawaii. It's one of our favorite places to go and travel. We fell in love with Hawaii a number of years ago, have been blessed to go a number of times. It's one of our favorite places to go, and it was actually, I could point out the building where I bought this church shirt, because not only Chuck loves Hawaii shirts. And the reality is we were there, and we were walking along the street one day, and this stranger approached us out of the blue and said, how are you doing today? I knew right away it was a timeshare guy. And he was trying to sell me a timeshare presentation, right? And I said, we're doing great, thanks. You know, we have an appointment we got to get to. And he said, will you go to the next slide, please? How would you like to own a piece of paradise? Have you heard of timeshare? And he said, I will give you two free tickets to any event of your choice if you will simply come with me to this very brief, no obligation, timeshare presentation that will explain to you how you too can own a piece of paradise. And I said, thank you, but we're not interested. And so wait a minute, wait a minute. I will give you two free tickets to any two events of your choice. If you will simply come to our world-class, very brief, no-obligation presentation that will tell you how you, too, can own a piece of paradise. And I said, I'm sorry, we're not going to a timeshare presentation. She said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I will give you $150 cash. He almost had me. <laughs> That's American. At the time, it was like $235 Canadian. If you'll just sit through our world-class, very brief, no-obligation 
simple presentation that will explain how you can always own a piece of paradise and get to wear a shirt like you're wearing today every year. And I looked at him and I said, you're so good. You're very good at this. Like, you're amazing. You're clear. You're fun. You're great. You're persistent. I admire your tenacity. But at no point are we going to a timeshare presentation. We're just not. And he said, well, thank you for your time. And we walked on down the street. And I looked in the window and I saw this shirt and fell in love with it. And we went on and we did what we were going to do. And we came back. It was like 20 minutes later. And he saw us coming and he remembered us. And I was amazed because he probably made that same pitch a dozen times in between. He said, have you changed your mind? Have you come back? Are you ready to sit through our world-class, very brief, no-obligation presentation that will tell you how you too can own a piece of paradise? And I looked at him and I said, you're amazing. You're wonderful. If I was in sales, I would hire you right now because you're the best salesman I have ever encountered. And if I ever do go to a timeshare presentation, it will be yours just because you're so good at this. But I'm not going to anything anytime soon. He looked at me and said, well, the best thing you can ever do is come to our... And he gave me the spiel. My friends, next, next slide, please. That's persistence. It just keeps asking. It just keeps expecting. It just keeps coming. It just keeps delighting over and over again, hoping for the breakthrough, hoping for something to give and for something to change and for something to loosen, and that this time someone will say yes. Just like the dandelion breaks through asphalt, particularly in the Okanagan, it has an incredible ability to do that here. That's persistence. It just keeps coming, and it just keeps asking. And the simple truth is this, that's what the passage of scripture that was read for us on the video a moment ago is all about. It's all about persistence. Jesus tells us that right up front in the very first verse. Next, next slide, promise. Thank you. You see, Jesus tells us what it's all about. So we don't need to spend a lot of time studying theology. We don't need to spend a lot of time reading a lot of Bible passages. We don't need to read a lot of commentaries. He tells us right up front, this is what it's all about. This is what this story is going to communicate to us. This is what persistence looks like. You should always pray and not give up. I'm going to repeat that, and I'm going to ask you to say those last three words with me. We should always pray and not give up. Just like the salesman in Hawaii. And then Jesus went on to tell this amazing story, this incredible, powerful story about a widow who just would not give up. And he did it to remind us about the importance of prayer and to trust God with issues of justice. Now, next, next slide, please, promise. See, the simple reality is this. There's a lot of us who struggle with, with prayer. I've, I've been a pastor for 40 years next year. November 15th, 1982 is when I started officially into paid ministry. I actually preached my first sermon ever on December 24th, 1976. Long time. And I'll tell you straight up, 
from having pastored as long as I have and having talked with so many people and discipled so many people, a lot of people struggle with their prayer life. They feel like they're saying the same things over and over again and it's not working. They struggle to find a rhythm of prayer that works for them. They struggle to find a way of praying. They're not sure what to say. Some people find great meaning in written prayers. Others feel that it is dead. Some look for spontaneity in prayer. Some hope that they can become a Pentecostal and God's going to give them a prayer language and that will take care of it all. And they keep wondering about all these things and they struggle with prayers for a lot of reasons and we really struggle with those times of prayer when we pray and pray and pray for God to answer prayer and to do something and it seems as though God's not answering. And it seems as though nothing is changing. And why should we keep bothering God? In fact, a lot of us end up exactly at that place. Next, next slide, please, promise. We just keep going, why? Why bother God? Why, why should we keep on asking? God is all wise. He knows. He's sovereign. I've asked. I'm sure he's taken it under advisement. Why, why, why should I keep on saying over and over again the things that I've been saying over and over again? Why should I keep praying for my son to come to faith? Why should I keep praying for dad to finally give up alcohol? Why should I keep praying for this cancer to go away? I've asked and asked and asked and asked and asked, and nothing has changed. Why bother? Why keep asking? Why should we persevere? If God is sovereign, if he is wise, if he is all-powerful, if he is in control, and the answer to all those ifs is yes, God is all those things, then maybe the lack of answer is the answer. Maybe I'm just wasting my breath. Why bother? Why should I even continue praying in this way? Great question. It's a real question. It's a question that I've heard people ask in a lot of different languages. It's a question that I've heard people ask with a lot of tears and some with anger. Larry, I've prayed. I've prayed and 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 nothing's changed. Why bother? The answer to the why bother question is the passage that was read for us earlier from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. And if you have your Bibles along, you have your cell phones and can access your Bible reading app, then look it up in your favorite Bible translation as we work our way through the story that was read earlier today. Because Jesus said, we persist in prayer, we don't give up on prayer for a very simple reason. We don't give up on prayer because when Jesus comes back, he's looking for the people who pray. Don't miss that. When Jesus comes back, he'll be looking for the people who pray. Now, as the story unfolds that Jesus tells, next, next slide, please, please we, we have these two people that end up very central to this story. We have the unjust judge um, who probably is corrupt. We're not told that, but we're told that he doesn't fear God, doesn't care what people think, and those two characteristics very clearly are people who are very self-centered, and are only concerned for what they're going to get out of it. And we have the widow, 
who demands justice and who feels that she should get justice. And if she only got justice, then everything would be better in her life. And so she keeps coming and she keeps asking the judge to give her justice and the judge refuses to give her justice. It is an amazing story. It is a powerful story and we know from history it's a common story from the first century. Widows were among the most vulnerable people in that day at that time. They had no social safety net. They had no ability at all to seek help. They had no legal background that they could draw on. If they were a widow without a family system to support them, they were in deep trouble, and she was in deep trouble. But she had two things going for her. She was persistent, and she was in the right. She knew that if she only got what was right, if she only got justice, her whole situation would change. And so she just kept coming like the salesman in Hawaii. She just kept asking the question over and over and over again. She just kept saying, will you not give me justice this day? And Jesus, when he told the story, was very clear. For quite a while, the judge refused. He just said no. But the judge then changed his mind for one very simple reason. Her persistence wore him down. Next next slide, please promise. The reality of this is that the, the judge just going, I am tired of this woman coming. I am tired of her every day asking me the same question. I am tired of her just coming back over and over and over again, asking me the same question, never ending, never changing. I am worn out by this. And the, it's a very unique Greek phrase that gets put there that different Bible tra translations translate different ways, but most of them end up saying this, she's just wearing me down. Some of them actually get a little bold with it and say, she's just beating me down. She just keeps asking me over and over and over again. And Jesus uses this judge as an example of how we should be going about praying to God. Now, now think about that. We have a little phrase in our culture that most of us are very familiar with. I'm just going to start it. You're going to finish it. The squeaky wheel gets the... If you complain enough, you get what you want. We, we'd learned this really early in our lives as kids. I'll, I'll complain to mom, and then I'll go and complain to dad without telling that I've already complained to mom, and dad will say yes. Or I'll complain to dad, and then I'll go and complain to mom without letting mom know I've already said this to dad, and mom will then say Go ask your dad <laughs> if she's wise, if dad's wise. What did your mother say? See, the reality is we learn this early. We, we go throughout life, and there are some people who turn this into an entire way of living. They, they go through life complaining about everything. They, they get something they don't like at Canadian Tire. They complain. They gather together for coffee after church, and we had that guest preacher from the CBW whatever. He was terrible. Why did Randy invite him in? Oh, there he is. Hi, good to meet you. We do this all the time. We complain. And we learn very quickly that by complaining, we get something. 
Is that what Jesus is telling us we should do with our prayer life? That we should just keep complaining to God? We just should keep nagging God? No. No. In verse 7 is a little phrase that creates this incredible point of contrast where Jesus says, as the NIV translates it, and will not God. Or the, end, the New Living says, do not forget God. What he's doing is he's creating this point of contrast between the unjust judge and our loving Heavenly Father. Because the unjust judge was selfish. He didn't care about God or about people. It was all about him. But our Heavenly Father is loving. The unjust judge was clearly unjust. He didn't care about justice. Our Heavenly Father is the epitome of justice as the Bible portrays him. This earthly judge was corrupt. Our Heavenly Father is holy, the polar opposite of corrupt. And Jesus made the point very clearly that if a corrupt, earthly, unjust judge can be forced to do the right thing, then we can trust that our Heavenly Father, who is holy and just and loving and good, will always do the right thing. That's the point that Jesus is making in the story. But our struggle with that is not understanding the differences our struggle with the story, I think, is understanding the similarity. You see, they both can put off justice. And that's the struggle for a lot of us. We totally get and understand why an unjust judge can put off justice. Well, they're selfish, they're corrupt, they're evil, bribe them. That's what you get with an unjust, corrupt judge. But a loving, holy, just, righteous God? That just feels wrong. Why would you put off justice? And here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us. There's no answer in the book for why God sometimes puts off doing the just thing. All we know is that he does. And the point that Jesus is making in this story is that our faith and our persistence in our faith grow together and are linked. And as we keep coming back and trusting, as we keep coming back and asking, as we keep coming back and pleading, as we keep coming back and seeking, our faith gets stronger. Just like we have symbols that remind us that it's all about Jesus and all about the authority of the word, there are times in our prayer life and there are times in our pursuit of justice where we plainly and simply have to come back to what Jesus said. We just keep asking. Because that's what Jesus is going to be looking for when he returns. Will he find this kind of faith on earth? Will he find faith among his people who believe that God is just and holy, and we keep asking? Will he find a faith in which 
his followers are willing to believe that God does answer prayer even when it seems like he doesn't? Will he find people who are earnestly praying and trusting when the answer seems to be we have to wait and see? I'm going to close with this. When I was a child, I would often go to my mom and my dad and promise, you can just close it down now, thanks. I would often go to my mom and my dad and, and I would ask a, you know, a really burning question, like, can we go for ice cream after supper? I mean, like that was the most important question in the world because it was a hot summer's day and I wanted to go for ice cream after supper. And every single time, my mom and my dad would say the same thing, we'll wait and see. And I got a little bit older, and I would come and I'd ask the most burning question that I had that, that day. Can I have the car after school? My mom and my dad would always give me the same answer. We'll have to wait and... Were you ever parents? <laughs> or I would come to my mom and my dad a few years would go later, and I want to know, can I go to the party? You know, it's happening at the park without any chaperones. My mom would look at me and she would say, you'll have to wait and? I hated that. I hated it. But you know, down through the years of walking with Jesus, down through the years of walking with God, down through the years of walking with people who are walking with Jesus' pastoring, I'm going to tell you time and time again, as we have cried out to God in prayer for something, God the Father's response has been very similar to what my parents said to me. We'll have to wait and... Oh, but God, we're praying for this couple to finally be able to conceive a baby. God, what, what's your answer? You have to wait and... Oh God, this issue of justice that's really burning in our culture and our world right now, we have to finally get an answer for us. God, what do you say? You have to wait and? Feels hollow, doesn't it? Feels wrong, doesn't it? But it doesn't change the truth that that's what God says. If you want your faith to grow, if you want to pursue justice, if you want to see the right things happen, then we have to accept the simple reality that what God says to us in response is we have to wait and see. Because he's good and he's holy and he's righteous and he's loving and we can trust him. And the way to get there is by waiting and seeing, and trusting, and persisting, like the salesman in Hawaii. We just keep asking God. My friends, I urge you to keep doing that, and to recognize again, and again, and again, it is all about Jesus, and him alone. Amen. Yes. Yeah, it's all about Jesus. I ask you to remain standing, and then after, you can come have a seat and have some coffee with us and fellowship. And I encourage you to reach out to each other throughout the week. Connect in the ways you can.
so we can be a blessing to each other. But I invite you to open your hands to receive as a symbol of just receiving from God. God, what do you have for me from this service? What do you want to take? What do you want me to take from this service today? And it might be something from a song, from the sermon, from a prayer. I invite you just to be open to take and receive. And hear this closing blessing. As you go from this service, know that it is all about Jesus. And that whatever you're going through, you can continue to reach out, to persist, to reach out and see your faith in our Lord, the only true Savior. See that faith grow. That we can all learn to trust him more. And may you do so in the name of our Father, and of the Son who loves you dearly, and of the Holy Spirit who empowers you. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.